Isn't that a beautiful hymn? With Billy Graham celebrating his 96th birthday, it's a good choice that David made. As uh, George Beverly Shea was his uh, soloist that would sing at all the crusades, and that was written by him. Pastor Colleen is here for the children to get their Bible uh, boxes. And for the rest of us, we're going to take our Bibles and turn to Joshua chapter 24. Book of History, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. First of the history books after the Torah or the book of the law. And uh, as they say, the history books of the Bible are God's vision of history. It's not uh, the same kind of thing as just, oh, these events occurred. This is what God was doing in the midst of his story as he worked with people and helped them understand what life is and how life works and why we experience what we experience. And so the history books are, are wonderful examples of, of the choices that people make and the consequences of those choices, both for good or for ill. I know it's a rather clash, cliche to speak of sports stadiums as modern temples and shopping malls as temples of worship or as nationalism as civil religion. And I also know it's rather fanatical for people to talk about making an idol out of money or out of fame or out of power or to have concern about a show that promises to make an American idol. I'm sure they don't realize what that word means. But I have a suspicion, and my suspicion is this. I suspect that in ways that I don't like to admit, and perhaps this is true for you as well, there are things that actually do compete for first place in my life. Things that I could, if I am not careful, give more worth to than my worth to God. I want to explore that with you because that's what Joshua addresses today. And I, to get at it, I want to use an analogy. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about the Ten Commandments of God that were given at Mount Sinai just about 40 years before this text that we're about to read in Joshua. They are summed up by Jesus, of course, as having a core of love for God. That the four commandments are kind of stated in a negative way, but it's not just that we don't want to have any other gods before the Lord or that we do not want to reduce God to some graven image, uh, some uh, thing made by human hands, nor do we want to use his name as just a cuss word or to not, in fact, be honest or trustworthy. And we certainly don't want to work every day so that we never have a Sabbath rest. And so we never use our strength to serve him and to love him and to, to be with him. But rather what Jesus says is that all of those are summed up in the expression that we are to love God with all our heart and soul and strength and mind. And when we do that, then everything else in our lives comes into proper perspective. And we love others and we love ourselves. Well, I want to take that truth and I want to use an analogy of our solar system. As you know, the very center of everything within our solar system is the sun, S-U-N. The eight planets orbit in their appropriate places as their interactive gravitational pull 
keeps them in proper relationship to each other as the overall general pull of the sun keeps the whole solar system in its proper place. Now I want you to imagine that our solar system is you, or it's me, at the very center of our lives, at the very center of our loves. What is of greatest worth to us, for which we give worthship, everything that keeps everything else in order, is the great I Am, Yahweh, the Lord, the Son, S-O-N, the source of all being, animate and inanimate, the giver of life and the sustainer of that continuing life. Now, when we love God first and foremost, then we love other things in their proper place. Our spouse, our family, our church, our individual and corporate mission, our work, our finances, our possessions, our sports teams, our recreation, all of them are in their proper place when we put God first. Then the interactive nature of life, such that all of our loves and our passions, as they interact in that understanding place of God being the center core of who we are, falls into proper order. And that proper orbit has an increasing, decreasing worthship as we move further out in our unique solar system. But imagine what would happen to our solar system if we decided to put Jupiter into the place of the sun. Without the nuclear fusion of hydrogen, the life-giving rays would be gone. Darkness would soon envelop us. Without the much stronger gravitational pull, the planets would stray. Inevitably, they would conflict with one another in their fight over new orbits, new attractions, gravitational fields. The entire solar system would be taken into a dark chaos. The same is true in a human life that decides to put some other aspect into the central place. It's not that that aspect in and of itself, is sin or destructive, if it isn't the great I am, the source of all being, all love, all life, all vitality, all warmth, then quickly darkness begins to envelop our innermost selves. Conflicting passions begin to tear us apart. The loves would be in chaos as we attempt to find order and peace in our lives. And it doesn't really matter what else we put into that central place. Some people live for spouse or for the finding of a spouse. Some live for kids and do everything revolving their lives around them. Some for church and revolve their whole lives around the religious nature of our lives. Some for mission, some for job, some sports, some money, some power, some fame, some prestige. If we live for anyone or anything else as our central core, our worship, then the entire I am system begins to chaotically conflict. And not only does it, do we have this chaos within our own selves as things begin to conflict within us, but as our lives begin to have conflict, our whole system overall begins to have conflict.
and we lose our place in the universe of God's creation. As our community then, our families, our cultures, our nations begin to spin chaotically out of control and crash into other communities and other cultures and other nations as we war against one another and our place in this system that has gotten into chaos. Now that's the problem that Joshua found in the people of God around the year 1400 B.C. Only a few decades now, as I said, from the time when God took them to Mount Sinai, taught them the law of God, the Ten Commandments of God, the base minimum uh, that will keep us from getting into chaos. And Joshua brings them now, the next generation, to a moment of choice. A choice, in fact, that every nation and every individual has to make. Choose this day whom you will serve. Will you serve the great I am, the source of all life? Or will you put something or something, someone or someplace else in this central core of your life? So let's go to Shechem. This is a place, a special place throughout the history of the people of God. And Joshua calls together the people there and he presents this very important choice to them. And he is, of course, presenting that choice to you and to me. So Joshua chapter 24, and we're going to begin with the first verse, read a few of the first verses and then uh, skip a few and move on down. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. Now, just a reminder, the Tigris and Euphrates River, middle of Iraq, the same rivers, the Garden of Eden, the central place. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates, and I led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. And then let's skip on down to verse 14. Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River, and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. 
If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, Then you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, Throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people, and there at Shechem he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. Now keep that open before you, and let's pray. Father, each generation comes to our own Shechem, and we too must decide who we and our household are going to serve. And we, as your people, have gathered in your house and we are listening to you individually and then together as a family of God. Help us. We want to serve you, but we are so easily led astray. Help us as we listen and as we spend time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are many things, of course, that you get from the history sections of the scriptures. I encourage you to read the, the books and stop and put yourself in the places of the various people. And What choices would you have made and what would you have done if you were in that incident? I'm just going to point out just a few that I observe in this instance. And we want to look that this is only one generation after the people received this wonderful uh, commandment of God from Mount Sinai. It's 40 years. Many of these were children then. The adults have all gone. Now they are adults. There are two things that we want to see, first of all, and the most obvious is that God has no grandchildren. God has no grandchildren. Each generation must choose whether they will become a child of God directly and allow Him to be their father, the center of their lives, or not. Our grandparents, our parents, our pastors, our teachers cannot make that decision for us. There are no grandchildren. Each generation comes back to Shechem. And Shechem literally means back. Will we turn our back on God? Or will we turn back to God? It is the choice that changes everything in the I Am system. It changes everything that you end that sentence with. I am. And the great I am is either the center of our lives or he is not. Regardless of what we might say, he is either the center of our lives or he is not. And if my self-centered I or something else gets in the place of the great I am, then the results are true and predictable and have been seen for thousands of years. Everything goes into chaos, a warring madness within and without, as we begin to enter into a darkened place where the light is gone. Now let's also notice that how quickly the temptation to turn to other gods comes to these people of God in just one generation. It's been said that the most important moment in a, a Christian's life 
is when we walk out of the sanctuary having just met with God. We spent time with him. We've heard from him. We've made new commitments to him. We have a desire to serve him and to put him in the central place. And then we walk out the door. And if we continue as though we did not just meet with God and we continue walking in a place with a different center and a different experience, then we will miss the change of the pull of God to holy life a life that is complete and fulfilling and abundant. It's an amazing gravitational pull that you will have from God in here. And as you walk out the doors, the gravitational pulls of everything else are intense. And it's at that moment that the most important continuation of the choices are made in a person's life. The second truth we learn is that we're a part of a great tradition of people who have been following God from millennia from all different places of the world. Some from beyond the Euphrates. Some from Egypt. Some from Europe. Some from Central America. Some from Asia. Some from every place you can name. God has been knocking at the door, wanting to come in and to have relationship with each person and each culture and each nation. Now that seems that we have then a great heritage of lessons and traditions and understandings and teachings that God is not playing hide and seek with us. He makes it very obvious and he's given us thousands of years of lessons of what the choice that we make does. How does it impact us? What happens to our children and our grandchildren and our nation and our world as a whole when these choices are made? And if we have a false center, a false God at the center of our culture, of our nation, of our world, of our own individual lives, then there will be chaos. History has taught us that over and over and over as we understand that God is not playing hide and seek. He's there. He's presented the choice as clearly as it could be presented. And he's saying, choose this, this day whom you will serve. Will it be the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who has expressed himself very directly? Or will it be something else? I was listening to a comedian a few days ago on the radio. And he said he had a moment of clarity when he was in a counseling session. And he said, I saw something I'd never seen before. And so I said to the counselor, are you saying that all these bad things that have happened are related to my drinking? Addictions, one of the primary aspects of addictions is they become the center of a person's life. And anything that becomes the center of our lives throws us into chaos, especially if it's something like that. The third thing we learned from Joshua at Shechem is that the choice is very clear. God is with us, and he makes that choice to be with him or not. And that offer of truth and life and health and wholeness is a choice that is not just made in sanctuary. It's made a thousand times a day in all the various situations in which we find ourselves. And it's a very real choice with very real consequences. Joshua makes clear, choose this day. And then last, let's note that the people of God 
who choose God, choose together. As for us, we will choose the Lord. I and my household will choose the Lord. We are not in this only as individuals. We are in this as communities of God's people and communities of the nations of the world. And those choices that are made by communities as a whole have impact on the community. Will that community revolve around the Lord God and his ways and will we obey him? Or will we go a different path and experience the very real consequences of something else being the center of our lives and our community? So this morning we're once more at Shechem. The choice is once more presented to us. Will we throw away these foreign gods that are among us, calling to us, pulling gravitationally to our souls? Or will we yield our hearts and our lives to Yahweh, the Lord, the true Son, the true center of our lives? Will we say to Joshua and to Jesus, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. He will be the son of our universe. Let's spend time with him.